Thank you for those readings. And Katrina, thank you for sharing about compassion. As you said, we have sponsored a child for many years. Uh, and like you, my family were able to visit you know, in Thailand and we had uh, an amazing experience. Um, truly humbling. Compassion safe, do visit your children, don't overdo gifts and stuff like that. So we sort of had some coloured pencils and some balloons and just things to give to our child when we first met her. And the family responded, uh, giving Ken and I clothes that they had made. She had weaved the material and sewn it and we were just so humbled. It was amazing. Uh, Compassion, I'm not quite sure whether they still do it, but we were able to give a $500 donation to the family each year, sort of as a gift. So we sponsored the child each month. And anyway, about five years later, we visited a second time. And the house that she was in when we first met was just a timber house with one tap and one light. And um, the house had been renewed. And we said, how did this happen? And they said, you paid for this from our family donation of $500 for five years, that, again, amazingly humbling experience. And the third time we visited our child, we were able to signaled out, singled, singled out. And uh, anyway, she came down from the platform and just knelt at our feet. It, on one hand, it was awful. We felt like we were being worshipped. But it, there was a sense of response that we had made such a difference in this girl's life, in this whole family's life. So if you want to make a difference in someone's life, I encourage you to sponsor a child. Before I get into the sermon, let me pray. Lord God, uh, thank you that Jesus is full of compassion. And I pray that we, as we, uh, we look at this passage and as we consider ourselves, that you would help us to be people of compassion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could go back to the slide of the Bible reading, that would be terrific. Um, The, 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 we're in this new little series for three or four weeks. Not quite sure how it's going to work out. Um, Alex has got a friend of hers preaching next week, and we've invited the bishop to preach one Sunday if he turns up. I've, I've just sent an email, and uh, we'll see what happens. I've told him our series. We'll see if we, we get a response. But uh, according to my Google research, uh, Jesus asked 307 questions, or he's recorded as having asked 307 questions in the Gospels. Now, questions, questions, it's all sorts of questions, isn't there? There's those awkward questions that people ask just to try and get under your skin, the, the, the questions that lawyers ask, and, you know, there's Pilate and Herod asking those questions of Jesus before the crucifixion. That's not the sort of question Jesus asked. You know, there's the information questions, you know, where, when, how, the questions you ask your kids before they go out or whatever. What's going on? And then there's the teaching questions, the reflective questions, the questions that good teachers ask to help us to learn, to reflect on our learning. They're the questions Jesus asked. 
And today's question he asks of this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, do you want to get well? Pretty short question. Do you want to get well? We'll come back to that in a minute, but just let's look at the context. Chapter 5 of John's Gospel, there's Jesus. Uh, chapter 4, he'd been in Samaria, the woman by the world, Samaria, had that conversation. Here he is, turning up in Jerusalem, there's a festival happening. But does Jesus go in the main gate to Jerusalem? No, he goes in the back door, the sheep gate. Now, if you can imagine Jerusalem, and uh, again, I've had the fortune of visiting and walking around the walls and looking at the gates and things. There is a number of gates. Nehemiah mentions uh, the gates and the plan of the wall back in the you know, 445, or whenever it was when he rebuilt the wall. But here we've got Jesus turning up at the sheep gate, the gate where the shepherds would come in to bring sheep up to the sheep markets in the temple, believe it or not, so that people could buy a lamb for sacrifice. Um, shepherds were the lowest of the low, they uh, were the lowest in society. This was where people of no value came through the gate and uh, what have we got here? Um, near the gate was a pool in Aramaic, it's called Beth Esda, and Beth Esda means uh, house of grace. Getting our picture here, we've got this low, lowly place, we've got this pool called the house of grace. And what have we got at the pool? Uh, well, sorry, five colonnades, great number of disabled people. Uh, a multitude, uh, the Message Bible said hundreds, a great number. And we've got disabled people and presumably their carers as well. There is a large crowd here. Jesus chooses to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't have to go. He chooses this gate. He chooses this bunch of people. I put the question to you, why? And of course, you know the answer, because Jesus' heart is full of compassion. He chooses to go where needy people are. He goes in the lowly gate. Built over and built over and built over. In early centuries, people loved to build places to worship and any church will build a church on top of here this is where something great happened and people sort of wondered oh sheep gate where's that gone oh, pool of Bethsaida no that didn't never, was never there now in last century uh, excavations and archaeology was the thing and they started uncovering and they found oh we found a sheep gate oh we found a pool they dug some more and found two pools Two rectangular pools. The first pool they found was 13 metres deep. They thought, oh, this would be hopeless for disabled people. Chuck them in there and they'll drown. They discovered a bit further in, the, in their excavations a second pool, a shallower pool with gradual steps. And they found colonnades. This church actually is like colonnades down the sides, as you can imagine. So there's covered areas around the pool. But they thought, the Bible, five colonnades. You wouldn't have five colonnades around a rectangular pool. And then in further uncovering, they found the two rectangular pools. If you can imagine two rectangular pools here, 
one colonnade down one side, one colonnade down another, one at the end, one at the end. And they found a fifth colonnade, all the foundations, between the two pools. Now I find that interesting because I think the Bible writer didn't, John didn't have to write five colonnades, but he did. And we don't have to believe the Bible. Well, I do. And when I find things like this, <laughs> you are an amazing God that as you have revealed and inspired John to write this gospel, he's included this little detail. And now this morning we can say, oh, God cares about the details. And we see here Jesus cares about this bloke. So what have we got? Uh, Jerusalem, the gate, the pool, the colonnades, a great number of disabled people, multitudes, hundreds. Those of you who have got good eyesight might see on the text here, we go from verse 3 to verse 5. Verse 4 has been uh, omitted, if you like. <clears throat> now, verse 4 in the King James Version, which is sort of the 1500s, 1600s, said, it's in the footnote uh, in the NIV, um, some manuscripts include... Um, uh, the paralysed, they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So one of the manuscript writers of the copyists over the years had thought that that little added verse would help. And again, our translations of the Bible get better and better as our scholarship gets better and better. We're still going from the original documents and uh, the scholars uh, for the NIV and uh, all modern translations uh, have gathered the most, recent, the most recent scholarship and the oldest of the documents and the fragments of documents and they put all the bits and pieces together and found that that verse wasn't in the earliest documents. So some person added it to help us understand. Now, because we like the Bible, the original Bible, we want God's word from the beginning uh, and John's words, not the copyist words, we've deleted that verse out or we don't include it. Now, it might be true or it might not, we don't know. But that person was writing to help us to understand the situation. So this pool had a history of uh, disturbance of the water, so presumably it was well fed, spring fed. And uh, when it was stirred up, the tradition, the theory, was the first person in would be healed. Now that helps us to understand a bit later on when Jesus says to him, and if we go to the next slide, please. Oh, it's actually on the bottom there. Do you want to get well? He replies, verse 7 at the top there, I have no one to help me in. Uh, and I've got to get in first. And if I don't get in first, I'm not going to be healed. So I've got this. the context but the second bunch of verses were well, still there um, from six to nine 
What are they telling us about this fellow? Uh, very little. Very little indeed. We know that he's been an invalid for 38 years. We, we know, uh, he, well, we know that he's helpless. He's got nobody to let him in to help him get in the pool. His friends have either died or left him. He's, he's, he's helpless, he's hopeless, he's miserable. And Jesus asks him the question, do you want to get well? Now, what would you answer? Here's me asking questions again. What would you answer to that question? Jesus says, do you want to get well of your disability? Of your issues, of your needs? Do you want to get well? Now, this guy, well, he doesn't know who Jesus is. The passage says that. And maybe he's thinking, oh, Jesus, you can't help me. So what's the point of answering your question? I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm just going to say I've got a problem. Now, some people have described this person as a, you know, not an ungrateful, you know, not a nice person. Now, I think that's going too far. I think when people are disabled and people have needs, it's hard. I've... I've got a minor disability in, in hearing. I wear hearing aids, it helps, but I can't hear everything. And I know that my little disability separates me from conversation sometimes. I know with my family, sometimes they give up trying to explain stuff to me. They say, oh, you can't hear, Dad, don't worry. Disabilities are isolating. And here's this guy who's isolated helpless, hopeless. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he gives his excuses. And Jesus says, I get it. No more excuses. Don't, don't. I'll just hear you. Get up, pick up your mat and go. And he does. So what do we learn about Jesus? There's not much to learn about the guy. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the situation. Jesus knows that pool. Jesus knows that gate. Jesus knows that he's been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus knows he's helpless, he's hopeless, he's miserable. And the Bible tells us, we, I think we had it in our confession today, Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Point one, Jesus knows you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows this man. Point two, Jesus cares. He cares to go to the pool. He cares to go to this man. He cares to ask him. Jesus' heart is full of compassion. Jesus is moved to care, to, to, to move towards needs, to move towards you and towards me. Jesus doesn't move to the comfortable place like I'm inclined to do. 
Jesus cares, point two. And point three, Jesus can, can help you, can heal. And again, those of you who have spent any time not being well or being in hospital, after you've been lying in hospital in a hospital bed for a couple of days, it's, you know, one foot out, it's the physio, it's the, you know, it's the walking frame, it's crutches, it's whatever it is to, how does this guy get healed? He hasn't walked for 38 years. Jesus has the power to regenerate this body, to get this guy walking. When I'm driving in the car after two hours, I get out of the car and try and straighten up my body. Jesus has this sort of power to transform, to renew, and he does it. Okay, that's the physical. The, the mood changes in, uh, where are we, uh, when the, the Pharisees turn up. He's picked up his bed, he's uh, cured, at once he's cured, halfway through verse 9, the day in which this took place was the Sabbath. If there was a movie, you know, the, the, the movie, the, the, the music would change. Uh-oh, here comes the Pharisees, here comes the question. And they go to the guy and say, you know, what's the story? Oh, I don't know, you know, the man who may be well, I don't even know his name. He's sort of, again, this is where he's getting a bad reputation. He's blaming Jesus rather than being grateful, but let's leave that aside. Who, who is this fellow? Uh, I have no idea, Jesus says, verse 13. Verse 14. Verse 14, we've got 14 here. Later, Jesus found him. He didn't find Jesus. Jesus knows, Jesus cares, Jesus can. And Jesus comes back to this guy and says, ah, oh, you're well, terrific. How's it going? You know, many pains and aches. You're on your feet, you're well. Great news. Now here's the, the tough bit. Verse 14, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What's Jesus on about here? Well, John's gospel, sin, the big sin, is the sin of unbelief. In fact, John writes his gospel, the very end of his gospel, he says, uh, these are written that you may believe. All these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So Jesus healed this guy physically. His, his immediate need, his disability is gone. He's removed from that pool. He's removed from that tree gate. He's removed from that awful place of suffering, of outcasts. And now Jesus says, now what about your soul? What about your insights? What about who you really are? And the challenge goes to him, stop sinning, believe. Don't ignore God. Or something worse might happen. What's the worst? Well, what is worse than 38 years of being an invalid? There's nothing on this earth, surely. To spend eternity without God is the worst thing. And Jesus is saying to him, come on, stop sinning, stop your unbelief. And that's a message to us today.
Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want new life in Christ? Stop sinning and believe. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray for each of us and I thank you, Father, that you know us. You know our sin. You know our situation. You know our hopelessness and our helplessness. And in your compassion, you reach out to us with love. And you offer us healing and forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your power. You can do it. You did it. You died on the cross for us. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would be convicted to stop sinning, to stop disbelieving and turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.